Payments Podcast from Bottomline Technology. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I'll be your host for this episode that continues our series of contributions to the 2024 business payments trend discussion. You know, normally on this podcast, we discuss the issues surrounding the way companies pay and get paid. Very simple. But there are many different angles that feed into the discussion. One of them is financial messaging. Most estimates put the number of banks in the world at about 50,000. Now think about that number for just a second. That's 50,000 banks that need to communicate with each other about various transactions, payments, trade, cross-border interactions, and more. Financial messaging is all about the exchange of information, instructions, and notifications between those 50,000 banks as well as their customers. Next year, financial messaging is poised to integrate many changes, many of which will be essential to competing in the global marketplace. And here to discuss those changes, we've invited two of Bottom Line's subject matter experts in this area. First up, we have Frederick Viard, Bottom Line's Joint Head of Commercial Product Management for Financial Messaging. Fred is based in Geneva and has more than 20 years experience in the global financial services industry, more than 10 of them here at Bottom Line. He is responsible here for driving and leading several initiatives around payments, multi-channel connectivity, cloud-based solutions, and fraud protection. Welcome, Fred. Thank you, John, and welcome to everyone. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Uh, you know, joining Fred today, we have our other joint head of commercial product management for financial messaging. Based in the UK is Edward Ireland. He is also a veteran of the payments and financial services and technology industry. He specializes in product and account management, new product development, commercialization, go-to-market strategy, and sales and revenue growth. And I will say he is the expert um, on ISO 20022, which we will be discussing in just a few minutes. Welcome, Ed. Thank you. Thank you, John, and um, uh, and thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. Yeah, you, you, you're quite welcome. I'm looking forward to this. And, you know, first off, I want to start at a very basic level, Ed. Um, I mentioned at the beginning there's a lot of angles and levels, I guess, to the pay and get paid equation, financial messaging being one of them. Before we get into the trends art that you guys have identified for 2024, let's talk a little bit about the context of the bigger banking picture. Why do you think financial messaging is something our audience needs to pay attention to next year? Yeah, it's, it's a good point because uh, the financial messaging is, is obviously not everything in the payment process. There's a lot more to it in the operations and, and the client engagement and, and banking relationships and so on. Um, but the financial messaging is still really key because it is with good financial messaging or poor financial messaging that you're able to either provide the additional services that customers are now expecting or you're not able to. Uh, and so it's that financial messaging piece that is, it's not everything, but it's an intrinsic part of the process. And, and what we've seen in the past is where financial messaging has been fairly limited in its scope. Uh, in turn, the capabilities that you can offer to customers are more limited. And now what we're seeing with the introduction of ISO 20022 uh, and the vastly increased scope of ISO 20022, this opens up the opportunity to do so much more with payments that financial institutions are now uh, looking to adopt and, and roll out for customers. Excellent. Sets the tone for our discussion here. If I may, John, just just to just just to complement, I think this is this is a hidden part of of a very important um, activity. The, the financial messaging is really a mission critical component. If you don't have financial messaging, then you cannot transfer the money. So you can debit an account in isolation, but if you want to credit the other one, 
you need financial messaging to transport these informations to make sure it is valid, to make sure it is secure in order to have the end-to-end -end payment processing. So it, it's not only something which is technical, it's really a, a mission-critical component of any payment chain uh, in the world, whatever it's domestic, cross-border, instant, or whatever. This is really a key component, uh, which is a bit hidden because we are focusing more on the business side of it. But let's say that the, the financial messaging is really a key component to achieve a payment wherever you are. Thank you for that, Fred. And now we can get into the specific trends that uh, our guests have identified today. We're going to start with you, Fred. What is the most important trend to watch in the financial messaging space next year? Uh, I think we have quite a lot uh, ahead of us in, in our um, financial messaging space. And and as I said, even if financial messaging is not the, the most, most sexy stuff, I think I would start by, by a component which is really underlying the financial messaging processing, which is the, the standard, the language which is used to exchange these informations to, to achieve a payment. And, and here we are. We are landing in the ISO 20022 space, which is a standard, which is really something which is starting to become the new norm everywhere. We have these swift initiatives to, to, to let's say, to, to push ISO as being the only language being used at the swift level. But this is something which is adopted also everywhere. Every country is now pushing for having a, a standard which is based on ISO 20022 to have this common language across the world to exchange information. And ISO is the only one which is end-to-end machine readable. So when you adopt ISO 2022, then you will reduce the number of exceptions, you will reduce the number of manual processing, which is the goal is to, to limit cost, to limit exception, which are costly and time consuming. So it is really the, these key elements to make sure that we can have uh, an overall um, uh, landscape, which is speaking the same language, and that, that can go a step further in terms of automation and in terms of speed and, and achieve the, the, to meet the customer expectations. So I would say ISO, even if it's not the most visible one, is really a key component. But we have a lot which are coming along with that, which are instant payment, uh, which are the confirmation of payee, pre-validation, SWIFT initiatives such as SWIFT Go, GPI, SWIFT Essential. So we have a lot of things, but all, all of these initiatives, they are articulated around something which is sharing the same language, which is ISO 2022. So ISO will, will really shape the conversation for the future because everyone will be in a position to speak the same language and to interoperate across the various countries and the various systems. So the basics to start to have, let's say, a very global payment environment is to speak the same language. And ISO will help to do that. And on top of that, all the initiatives will be based on these new, new standards, such as the instant payment uh, initiatives, which are flourishing around the world. So Ed, ISO 20022 was certainly uh, the cover story for 2023. Would you agree that it all starts there for 2024? Yes, I would. And, and Fred was right to bring it up as the, as the first point. So ISO 20022 is the main thing for next year. Um, we've seen uh, significant market infrastructures move over to ISO 20022 this year. Uh, and of course, the beginning of the SWIFT coexistence period for cross-border payments happening this year as well. Uh, and so ISO 2022 is going to be the big thing this year. But, but as Fred pointed out, not the only thing. Uh, so the introduction of instant payments, as Fred was saying, and uh, this move towards end-to-end -to -end visibility of payments and the various different initiatives that support that will be equally important. 
So, Ed, one follow-up, if I could, there. Um, you've, you've mentioned before that only 10% of the SWIFT customer base is sending and receiving ISO messages. How do we grow that percentage? Uh, yeah, so, so when I gave that 10%, I suppose it was a while ago, so it's now I think it's up to 16% of, of traffic. That was the latest number, so it has improved. Uh, but, you know, 16% of global payment traffic or cross-border payment traffic is now in ISO. Uh, but we've got to get to 100%. So we're still 80 plus percent away from where we need to be. And if you drill down into that 16% number, um, in fact, only 10% of institutions are sending ISO 20022, which means that, uh, um, that, that the majority of institutions, 90% of institutions aren't sending any ISO 2022. And it's only when institutions start sending ISO 2022 that you're really seeing adoption. Uh, so there is a long way to go. Um, I think a lot of institutions look at the, the coexistence period from SWIFT and see that that's November 25 and think they've got plenty of time. So that might be one factor that we haven't seen a lot of movement. There was a lot of work done towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year to be technically ready for the March cutover point to the new standard, whether that was for target two or the beginning of the swift coexistence period so a lot of work was done technically to be ready um, but not necessarily on the messaging itself uh, and so that's where i think the focus is going to come uh, over the next year and that's going to be driven by market infrastructure requirements and the major cross-border cash management banks starting to uh, lean on their customers or to encourage their customers to start using ISO so they can start picking up some of the benefits of ISO 20022 and start to get some return on their investment. So before we get to some of those benefits, um, Fred, I want to turn to you now. So what are some of the pain points that global banks are currently experiencing that can be mitigated by ISO messaging? Uh, as said before, I, I think by, by being machine-readable end-to-end and by limiting the number of options that you have in the message or to make them all readable from a machine perspective, it will help to increase automation and to reduce the number of manual processes which are around a payment. Today, if you have a, a mistake in a payment or something that has to be handled by the operation, it can, it can take several days to be sorted out, to contact the origin, to be sure that everything is fine and so on. So by being really machine readable and, and not not interpretative, I would say that the, the format will help to reduce this number of manual processes and then it will help to have a much more um, lean transaction chain and to avoid cost and time which are spent on that. So I would say that ISO 2022 will really help to have something which is uh, much more fluent in terms of the way the information is shared and the payment are exchanged. So we can see that, for instance, with instant payment. So instant payment everywhere is based on ISO 2022 or will be based on ISO 2022 in the near future. It's because this is the only way you can have something which is completely automated and that can be very fast. As soon as you have options that you can manual, manually change or interpret or whatever, then you integrate something that will slow down and make the process a bit complicated. So I think ISO by being, let's say, machine readable plus being the, the standard language everywhere will help to first to have this increased automation and second to build overlay services around that that 
can reuse part of the structure to have more visibility or more control of the payment. So I think it will be around all around control, speed, and accuracy of the content, and the limitation of number of manual processing on top of a transaction. So Ed, we talked recently, and I want to come back to a comment you made about end-to-end visibility here. ISO will provide part of that, right? But what are some of the other elements banks need to consider when building this end-to-end visibility? Uh, yeah, John, so I think there are, there are a couple of things I think uh, that institutions should look at in particular. Um, and it, obviously, these aren't the only ones, but I think they're the two main ones. And, and the reason why we're looking at this is to try to, uh, to create a better customer experience for payments, so an improved payments process. Um, and the two things I think that they can look at, the first one is pre-validation. So increasingly within domestic markets and also now uh, on the cross-border market space with SWIFT, we're seeing capabilities being introduced to the market to allow you to pre-validate payment details before you make a payment. Uh, so this is primarily around the, the name and the account and ensuring that's correct. And uh, in domestic markets, for example, in the UK, there is a, a domestic initiative to ensure that you can always validate that the account and the name that you're paying are correct. And we're seeing a, a dual initiative from SWIFT around bank account validation, either from a central database or from an increasing number of institutions offering to provide feedback on account details prior to a payment being made. Why is that so important? It's important because it reduces friction in the process, so it avoids a basic error in the instructions on a payment instruction, so they're not getting returned or, or they're not going wrong or failing. Um, and the second is it's a much better customer experience. So we've seen in markets that it reduces fraud and it also reduces misdirected payments. And remember that almost a third of misdirected payments never in fact uh, come back. So uh, misdirected payments are actually a real problem, even when they're not a fraud. So that pre-validation piece is really important. Uh, and I think we'll see that increasingly uh, in markets globally. And the second thing is uh, the SWIFT GPI initiative. So this is uh, an initiative whereby, especially in the cross-border payment space, you can get visibility on payments in which you are part of the payment chain. So uh, previously in, in cross-border payments and historically, you've, uh, you've not it's been quite difficult to get the status on a payment unless you're the next person in the chain or you've received information. And now with the GPI initiative, as long as you're part of that chain, you can see where the payment is at any time. So you've got real-time information through the GPI initiative to see the status of your payment. And that's the kind of tracking that is becoming normal in, in other areas of business and, 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 and customers' experience. And it's now being introduced to the payment process. Uh, and that's a matter of institutions, A, taking advantage of the capabilities that are there today, and then secondly, playing a part in that initiative as well. So actively engaging in GPI and supporting the rulebook and the program to provide better visibility for institutions. And I think with those two initiatives, you're going to get an improved customer experience, a more efficient operation, and better visibility uh, through the chain in an efficient manner. 
Fred, we know that ISO 20022 is going to be the foundation of successful cross-border payments and, and will will hopefully encourage instant payments on a cross-border context. What are some of the other trends you expect to see in this category? I would say that, like, like, um, like Ed said, so really the, the GPI stuff, the, by, by definition, a cross-border payment is, is crossing different countries. Then if he wants to keep control and visibility on where the message is, when it will arrive, when it will be settled, you need to have these tracking capabilities that will offered by, by GPI. So for sure, GPI will help to, to build this visibility. And on top of that, GPI will, will also help to have an end-to-end control of the payment that will in turn allow to, to build near real-time cross-border payment, which is the Graal at the end of the day. But to to do that, to achieve this paradigm of having an end-to-end cross-border payment in instant or near instant, you will need to have at the starting point and at the lending point, you will need to have instant payment scheme as well, which are running on the 24 by 7 uh, perspective, which is one of the requirements for instant payment. So once you have different countries being able to have a settlement processes, which is 24 by 7, plus the capability to track the pay- payment where it is, plus an SLA, a service level agreement between the players that make sure that everyone is playing the game to go fast, then you can you can achieve a, a near real-time instant payment cross-border feature. So I think it will we will see a push in the cross-border payment area to build something which allows to have near real-time instant payment cross-border. So everything that will help to do that is probably something that will come um, on top of the, the cross-border payment. So I'm thinking about GPI, but there is also the, the, the pre-validation as mentioned by Ed to make sure that the, the, the payment will not stop somewhere, but it will reach the end to build an instant payment scheme, scheme at the beginning and at the end. So all of that to enable this cross-border instant payment feature will be uh, driving the, the, the innovation in, in, the, in the coming months or years. On top of that, with this new reach, richer content with ISO, I think it will be possible to better profile the customers, to, to better understand their expectation by using artificial intelligence, machine learning. So all of that will come together to have something which is much more frictionless, much more fast, and, and much more accurate in terms of how it works, with always the need to make sure that there is good protections against fraud, against sanction, and all this, this risk which are inherent to any payment. So Ed, it struck me that if we're having this conversation a year from now, we're gonna be talking about instant payments, right? So are, are you confident that instant payments can be part of the cross-border conversation? Yes, I do. And, and even though uh, most, uh, well, in fact, almost all of the instant payment in- initiatives are domestic or, or certainly regionally focused. So in some ways, it's counterintuitive to, to think that a, that a domestic initiative will, will have a benefit for cross-border payments. I think this will be the case because one of the major things about the introduction of the, cross, uh, of the instant payment schemes is that they are 24-7. Um, and this is really significant for institutions. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons why they're such difficult projects to put in, because you might well be moving from a payment process that is based on business hours to one that's moving 24-7. And how do you do that? How do your systems cope with that? How does your operation cope with it? But when you have put those processes in place and you have got a system 
that is then working 24 seven, then you're losing that time zone uh, problem that you have in the cross-border payment space. So, so often you might be initiating a payment in your business hours, in your geography, to a, to a country where you needed the, the money to move, but it was outside their business hours. And so therefore it would stop until then they reopen for business the next day. Now, if your payment now is going across to your correspondent and they're operating in a 24-7 environment for those types of payments, then the process will continue. And so you won't be blocked by that time zone issue and you'll see a faster turnaround time in those payments. So I think that the introduction of instant payment schemes and their 24-7 nature will have a real benefit on the timings and the, and the, and the speed of cross-border payments in the future. We would be remiss if we didn't cover regulations here. In the EU, we're expecting new guidelines on instant payments for cross-border. In the UK, the new payments architecture initiative, which will come online next year, contains new infrastructure requirements for instant payments. In the US, the clearinghouse is working on its own cross-border real-time payments initiative. Fred, let me ask you, are you confident these measures will have an impact? Almost probably yes, because as soon as you push the market to move to something um, by mandatory or sub-mandatory mandate, then then it will help to have a, a critical mass that will start to use this principle, and then it will enable to the end users to have the to have the capabilities, the possibility to to have uh, new services and, and and new let's say new new features on top of their experience, their customer experience. So yes, most probably pushing the market to move towards uh, these instant payment directions will will help to have uh, adoption. And once we will have this critical mass on this adoption, then it will be uh, much easier to build some of early services for a better customer experience. So I believe. All of that is going together. So we need to have a common language, which is the ISO. We need to, to remove the, the fragmentation across co country by making something which is mandatory or at least which is defined uh, for a certain region. And, and building on top of all of that will help to, to build this overall uh, landscape, which should be much more seamless and frictionless in terms of payments. So regulatory measures to push adoptions will facilitate and, and speed the process and remove some fragmentation across the market to have something which can work much more seamlessly um, with, uh, with the rules which are shared by the community, the same rules being shared by the community. So yes, it, it will help, definitely. So I have a closing question for the both of you gentlemen. So we started out this episode by giving our audience some reasons why financial messaging is worth a close look next year. I'd like to find out if you guys think that the proper attention to FM will add to a bank balance sheet. So, Ed, let's go to you first. Can the right use of financial messaging get more money in the house for banks? So, uh, so the, the, the short answer to that question, uh, Johnny, is yes, I think that it can. But I think that it's not, um, it's not the right answer for all institutions. I think that the, the, the process of providing a proposition, a really a top-notch proposition for cross-border payments for institutions is becoming more complex and will require more investment. And so I think that we are going to see fewer players in the market offering a richer proposition to customers. I think that the, the barrier to entry 
if you like, uh, for this market is, is going up. So I think that it's a higher barrier because the proposition is so much richer. Uh, but for those that are able to deliver against that, they're going to be able to deliver an infinitely better proposition for customers, a more efficient proposition for them to run, uh, and therefore a more profitable uh, business for the company. But I think it's going to be fewer institutions. I think it's harder and harder for small, low volume institutions to operate across multiple markets. Fred, your thoughts on whether or not uh, financial messaging can add to the balance sheet? I completely agree with Ed. So I think it it's, it depends on the profile because ISO is, let's say, ISO general usage forced or let's say really motivated by SWIFT is something which is really focused on payment. But not all the, the banks are payment factories. Some of them are asset managers, they are private bank and so on. So the, the, the payments is not their core business. However, we also see in the, the other space, which is the securities market, we also see ISO 2022 coming for having richer data, for having improved automation and so on. So ISO will help everyone. And I also think that the, the ISO will help to position the bank. So as soon as you can have more information, then you can provide more uh, better services to customer, better reporting to customer. So this is something that will help the banks to position themselves as being, let's say, cutting edge, really driving the market ahead of the market and not, uh, let's say, following what is happening. So it's also a bit about the positioning of the bank. But again, so not all the banks have, have the same business. For some of them, it will really help to grow the, the, their, their market shares to take new customers on board. For others, it will be more a question of positioning. Uh, and for others, it could be another interim situation as well. So I, I would say... Yes, it will help to 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 make some some revenue stream, but not at the same time and not for everyone at the same time. So I think that the benefit for ISO will come maybe later for some players. It will be immediate for others. So I think it's not one fit for all in terms of what will be the benefit of ISO in, in the near future. I think we've made a very strong case for paying a lot of attention to financial messaging in 2024, and I want to thank you guys. That is a wrap for this episode of the Payments Podcast. I would like to thank my guest first, Fred Viard, Joint Head of Commercial Products for Financial Messaging at Bottomline. Fred, thanks for joining us. Thank you, John, and thank you all. And Ed Ireland, our other Joint Head of Commercial Product for Financial Messaging, I'd like to thank you for joining us as well. John, thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure. Yes, it has. This was a good one. I, um, I'd like to thank our audience as well for listening. Join us next time for the Payments Podcast. We're available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. See you next time. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.